Good morning. I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 66 through 71. That's the book of John, chapter 6, verses 66 through 71. And it reads as follows. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Some Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Please be seated. I'm certainly happy to be with you today. I'm very grateful for the presence of everyone. Preston, thank you for leading our singing and doing such a fine job. Our young people are at the Patton Lane congregation today, and moms and dads are visiting with them, and uh, they're supporting them. They are conducting the worship service today at Patton Lane, and we're happy about that. We're happy that the church at Patton Lane is encouraged by them and that they learn and encourage uh, our young people as well, and uh, family and friends are there to support them, and that's the way it ought to be. And we're very grateful that we have the, uh, the young people, the talent that they have, just amazing the talent that our young people have, and that they're developing it in a very fine way. We're thankful for Preston, who's here with his family, and, and uh, Preston will be back in a few weeks. I'll be out of town, and he'll be uh, speaking to us, and I know that you look forward to that, and, and we're very grateful for him. Preston's going to begin studies at the uh, Brown Trail uh, School of Preaching, a school that we're closely connected with and associated with, and we're very happy for him. Preston's finished a degree and going on to study Bible at, at Brown Trail, so I think that certainly is going to be a wonderful combination and I'm very happy to be back with you. I was away uh, this past week visiting uh, family, and my mother's doing very well. She's had a bout or two and in and out of the hospital, but she's doing much better, and I think the medication is really doing her good. And uh, my son-in-law and my daughter, Jamie, they had he had a minor surgery. It's minor for me because it wasn't happening to me, but... Uh, uh, anyway, it turned out very, very well. Thank you for everyone who asked about that. And the children, the greatest grandchildren in the world are doing well, and I'm happy to report that. Though uh, I could tell you all kinds of funny things and funny stories that happened along the way last week, but I'll not bore you with all those uh, details. I've been studying with you about growing spiritually, and that's still on my mind. Still on my mind, growing spiritually. And we looked at what that means, spiritual, and what it means to grow spiritually. And we looked in a very serious way about the importance of that matter in our lives and how that we can be engaged in that. And that's what God really wants for us. But I, I couldn't help but think about what it would be like if we failed to mention a very important matter and, I believe, a problem. We really wouldn't be looking at things objectively if we didn't. And I wanted to look at a particular point at hand that I think we all are very aware, well aware of. 
Some souls simply do not follow the will of God. They start out well, but they do not remain faithful to God. If you'll remember in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, 2, so many people wanted to hear Jesus. So many people were coming to him. He decided to use the boat. And he got into the boat there in the Sea of Galilee, and it caused the boat to back up from the shore. And there he used the boat as a pulpit. And he preached to multitudes of people. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, verse 2. But then you come to John chapter 6. And Jesus is not as popular now as he was then. Some fail to follow Jesus. As a result of this, our text said, verse 66, Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They fell away. Wouldn't walk with him anymore. Not as popular with them now. They'd heard the lesson, uh, the very important lesson, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which Jesus was emphasizing to them in a metaphor type of way that they were to ingest his teaching and his word and they did not follow him in that regard and they fell away and it's a sad thing indeed that some will become children of God you remember in Matthew chapter 13 the parable of the soils and there some of the seed fell on rocky ground and it was shallow and immediately it sprang up but because there was no depth of earth, it withered when the sun came out. The Word of God sprang up in certain hearts, but they wouldn't stay with it, and they wouldn't remain faithful to it. And one has to ask the question, why? Why do souls fall away? Why is it that some obey the gospel and some do not? Why is it that some obey the gospel and fall away like the rocky soil? Or like these disciples here in John chapter 6, who would no longer walk with him. I wonder why. And so I began to look scripturally at the matter because I want to know what the Bible says about it. And I put down certain points I think that the Bible's pretty clear on and I want to share those with you today. Now you look at that list and don't become frightened by it because I'm not going to spend a lot of time with each one of them. Uh, now, don't dare me to do it. It's like my grandson. You dare me to do this, Papa? I said, no, please don't do it. Don't dare me to do it because I could spend a lot of time on each point, but I'm not going to today. But I want to hit on each one of these. I have this opportunity to speak, and so I want to take advantage of that opportunity. I was knocking on doors one time out in California. We decided to have a campaign. We got all got together, and we planned it out, and Solicited help from this one, solicited help from that one. We knocked on all the doors in that town. And we got the names and we tried to set up Bible studies. And, and um, it was a lot of work and we worked at it every day. Worked at it every day and we divided up into teams. And, and uh, it was fruitful. It was fruitful. Fruitful way to do it. But I think the takeaway for me, one thing that I took away from that, is how many doors I knocked on. And they were already members of the church, but they didn't attend. They'd already obeyed the gospel. But they hadn't darkened the doors of the church in years. And it was amazing to me how many there were. Now, I can't remember right now off the top of my head how many that I actually could count. But I could count a substantial number of Christians in that town in Southern California. No longer faithful. And I asked myself the question, why do souls fall away? Now, if we did that here in Tyler, or if you did it in Dallas, let's say, 
and knocked on all the doors of Dallas, knocked on all the doors of Tyler, Texas. I wonder if you'd find Christian people that obeyed the gospel but now have fallen away. Failed to grow spiritually. Did not absorb the food which God has given them. To eat my flesh and drink my blood. A figure of speech which says, ingest the teaching what I'm giving you so that you can have eternal life. They started off well but failed. wonder if we'd find anybody like that today. I suppose we would. Because what I experienced in California, I think is probably typical, of a lot of cities and towns in our country. Now, I knocked on doors in Manchester, England. I was in a campaign there, and I preached every night, knocked on doors every day. But I never found any Christians there that were not faithful. They just weren't Christians at all. The point that I'm making is in this area where the gospel is so prevalent and so popular, and it's popularized on radio and television and a land filled with Bibles, why do people fall away? Do you think we'd have the same problem that they had in John chapter 6 and 66? As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And he goes on to ask, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away also? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's verse 68. You read that passage from the pages of your own Bible. It's in John chapter 6 and verse 68. Verse 66 tells us they left him. Why? Why do souls fall away? They come to Jesus for the wrong reason. That's the first reason that I saw in the text that I was reading. And it's found for us in John 6 and verse 24. In verse 26 particularly. Jesus answered them, John 6, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw new signs or saw signs, but because you, are, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. John 6 and 26 is saying, Jesus told them, you follow me for the wrong reason. You follow me because of the loaves and the fishes. The reason he said that was he just performed that great miracle of feeding 5,000. And Jesus took pity on the crowd because they'd followed him all day long. And he's been preaching to them and preaching to them. And miraculously, he fed the crowds with just loaves and fishes. And I don't think there'd been a miracle like that. There'd been miracles which Jesus had performed prior to this, but not one like this, where he miraculously multiplies this material of the loaves and the fishes. And so they're following Jesus. But Jesus says, you're coming for the wrong reason. You're coming for the loaves and the fishes. And that's the, not the right reason to have in becoming a child of God. And I suspect that we still have that same kind of problem today. Some people become Christians for various reasons. Some of them become Christians because they want companionship. Or they want friendship. Companionship, friendship's a good thing. But that's not really the reason one becomes a member of the church or the living God. I think sometimes people become members of the church because they want to assert a prominent role in the church. Or maybe they want to be one of the leaders of the church. And they want to set themselves up in a leadership type of position. And so they come in and they try to become members of the church. 
Maybe sometimes people come and they want to be members of the church because of the business connections that they can make. Like a fellow told me one time in Memphis, Tennessee, he's a member of the church because of the business contacts that it gave him. Some people come for the wrong reason. Some people are added to the church of the Lord and they become children of God because they feel, well, I heard that if I become a Christian, it'll help me and it'll help my health and I'll have better health. Or it may be that I'll have better prosperity. I'll exceed in my business pursuits. And if you listen to the wealth and prosperity type of preachers that are out there today, you'd get a good dose of that kind of message. Come to Jesus and become a Christian. And that way he'll improve your health. That way he'll improve your life. And you're going to benefit by it financially. And you'll get everything that you want. And life will be just a wonderful thing. Now I've said many times, and I believe with all my heart, that the Christian life is the best life that one can live. There's not a better life in all the world than being a Christian and living for Jesus Christ and being the kind of person God wants us to be. But there's one reason to come to Christ, and that is forgiveness of sin and to be united with Christ in baptism and have the hope of obtaining eternal life. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1 and verse 16. I need the forgiveness of sin because I live under the guilt and the burden of past actions. But all of that can be removed when I'm obedient to the gospel of Christ and I repent of my sins and I confess my faith in Christ and I'm baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. And it's very important that I understand that. This is why I'm being baptized. I'm being baptized to wash away my sins and it's at that point, that threshold step, that now I'm no longer accountable for past action, past sin. They've been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Great passages of Scripture teach the same. Romans chapter 6, 4 through 6. Acts chapter 2. Acts 22 and verse 16. Saul, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. One can receive redemption, remission, justification, reconciliation, Great Bible words that talk about release from guilt and union with God and Christ. That's the reason a person is to come to Jesus Christ and become a member of the church that belongs to Christ. Some people come for the wrong reason. They come because they are improperly motivated. I've seen that happen a time or two, probably more than I'd like to see it happen. Sometimes we put pressure on people and we uh, try to do it in such a way that we motivate them for the wrong reasons. The motivation comes to us in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit is the individual there who realizes his need for the Savior. And now I come and become a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. For that reason, I'm coming to him, because I need him, and without him, there is no hope for obtaining eternal life, and there is no hope for me in this life either. It reminds me of the Syrophoenician woman. I know that's a rather lengthy title, but it's because of where she was coming from. You and I studied the life of Christ on Wednesday night, and we've gone over this particular woman's story. It's found for us in Matthew chapter 15. The motivation is what I have in mind here. Why did she come to Christ? 
well, her demon-possessed child. But Christ was trying to tell her and trying to tell the community there that uh, he had come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It wasn't time yet for the Gentiles. You and I studied that. She said, but Lord, even the puppies long for the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, you have great faith. Great faith. And because you have this great faith, so let it be done with regard to your daughter. She came to Christ because she needed him. That was the motivation. She knew that there was no other way to help her daughter than Jesus Christ. Even though a Gentile, she comes to Jesus, the Syrophoenician woman. What a great motivation to come to Christ. There's no other way, and there's no other one that can help me. And I think we ought to give a long, hard thought as to why we went beneath the waters. We ought to give real serious reflection as to why I did that. And when I stepped out on that Sunday night into the aisle, I remember the very first step that I made, and I went down the aisle to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I knew what it was for, is to obey the gospel. And the preacher asked me, why are you coming forward? I'd already discussed it and studied it with him before that event and that time. I said, I want my sins forgiven. I said, this is how to do it. This, he said, explain it to me. And so I explained to him the importance of it and why Jesus told me to do it. And my parents had explained it to me. We need to think long and hard about the motivation as to why we went below the water. Because some people fall away because they had the wrong motivation at the time. Maybe it was undue pressure that was placed upon them. Maybe a parent, maybe a spouse... Maybe children get wrapped up in the emotion of the moment and they respond out of an emotional type of response and yet later they're no longer faithful. Why do they fall away? Sometimes they fall away because they were wrongly motivated. Wrongly motivated. A fellow one time wanted me to go to his congregation Sunday night. I was just a boy. He said, they serve hamburgers and hot dogs Sunday night where Well, I can relate to that. So as a young boy, I was ready to go. And I went to my mom and I went to my dad and said, no, you're not going to that. So that's not the Lord's church. Lord's church doesn't serve hamburgers and hot dogs on Sunday night. A lot of motivational type of things come up like that. Some kind of Fifth Avenue type of motivation to get people to come and try to get people to be friendly to them and in turn use that as the motivation whereby they become children of God. That doesn't get your soul anywhere. You've got to be properly motivated because when a person comes and they're not properly motivated, do you know what's going to happen to them? Somebody's going to be knocking on their door saying, we're out here trying to get people to obey the gospel. Well, I obeyed the gospel a long time ago, but I don't attend anymore. Because the motivation along the way just wasn't right. Souls fall away because they're wrongly motivated. Souls fall away because they never did count the cost of discipleship. And everyone should pay particular attention to that particular matter. And so I'm going to spend a little more time on this passage that comes to us in Luke chapter 14. So as you turn to Luke chapter 14, let's spend just a little bit of time discussing 
uh, that matter. And Jesus is at another dinner with one of the Pharisees. And when this happens, there's always a crowd that comes up. He was at one in Luke chapter 12 in one of these dinners. And you'll recall the, the situation that came up, the circumstances that uh, took place on that occasion. These dinners that took place and Jesus was invited to them were somewhat semi-public affairs. Not everyone was invited, but other people came even though they were not invited. They didn't participate in the dinner itself. Now large crowds were going along with him and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, now this is verse 26, and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Uh, he turns to the crowd. Did you notice what he said there in verse 25? And he turned and said to them. He saw this large crowd coming. He said, I want to tell you something. Stop right there. I want to tell you something. We're not serving hamburgers and hot dogs over here. Unless you love God supremely. You cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now the word disciple there means a learner. You can't be my follower. In other words, you've got to love them less. It is a way of saying... You must love God supremely. Now, is he saying you should hate your mother and your father? Certainly not. The Bible is teaching we should love our mother and love our father, love our brother, love our sister. But his point is we can't allow that love to interfere with my obedience to God and my obedience to Jesus Christ as much as I love them. And he goes on and says in verse 27, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, the word cross meant only one thing in Bible times. It meant death. And it meant excruciating death. And the only way that we can be the disciples of Christ is to put ourselves to death and to put Him in our place. No longer are we focused on ourselves. Priority. And that's a key word to counting the cost of being a disciple. Prioritize these particular matters. And that's why he would say in Galatians chapter 2, Paul would, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. He's saying, I put myself to death, and I put Christ in his place. You've got to count the cost. When you become a child of God, understand that it is a matter of following Jesus Christ and the way of Christ and not my way, but His way. And when you count the cost, and I'm not able to do it with you this morning, but let's try for a moment. What would you give up? Would you give up Christianity? The idea that I've come to the end of the day and now I no longer pray to God. I no longer pour my heart out before God because I no longer serve God. Would you give that up? Count the cost of that. 
You don't have the opportunity to pray to God anymore because you're no longer a faithful child of God. Here's a soul that falls away. Would you give that up? Who could give up a loved one who's laying there on the sick bed and you are there praying for them? Are you willing to give that up? Now let's count the cost here. Well, I'm going to do this. That's not the Christian way. I'm going to live that way, though. And I'm going to give this other up. How could you do it? When you count the cost, how could you give that privilege of prayer up when you're talking to that particular person and comforting them and begging God to help them? And to say nothing of the peace of God that passes understanding. Paul wrote about it in Colossians chapter 3. And the verse is verse 15. And in that particular passage, he talks about the peace that rules in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You willing to give that up? You willing to fall away from that? So let's count the cost on this thing. Which would be of greater value? Living a wicked worldly life, living the kind of life that I want to live, or, and give up great spiritual blessings which we enjoy in Christ Jesus? I'd say give all this other up and embrace the blessing of being a child of God and being a faithful child of God. The peace of God that passes understanding. I read the story one time of a contest and the art uh, teachers were putting together a contest for artists and some of them, they were amateur type of artists and they just said, let's select a topic and let them uh, do a painting that best represents the concept, how they see it with regard to the topic. And the topic they selected was the topic of peace. Some of them handed in beautiful portraits of a landscape. A very tranquil, pastoral scene. And then some of them uh, brought in a beautiful portrait of a baby. But then one, the one that won the prize, was a portrait of a tempestuous type of sea with winds blowing and a limb that's out there and below the limb a little cove and down under the limb in the shelter of the cove was a little bird and it won the prize because that is what our lives are like a tempestuous sea but yet we have peace the peace that passes understanding, a world filled with wickedness and ugliness, a sin-saturated world, but yet we have the peace of Christ in our hearts because of our obedience to the gospel. You better count the cost. You better count the cost of whether you're going to live for this world or if you're going to live for God. And souls fall away from God because they don't count the cost of what it means to be a child of God and what they face out there in this world. I wrote down on the list, there's no personal loyalty. And what I mean by that is they never grew loyal to Christ. Some souls will fall away because they were never loyal to Christ. They were never really loyal to God. Somebody said one time, and I have to put myself in this category, says, well, I grew up in the Church of Christ. And I did. What a wonderful blessing that was, a wonderful privilege to grow up in the church of Christ and as a mother and the father who loved me and taught me and 
trained me and cared for me and disciplined me when I needed it and showed so much love and care and sacrificed for me. Oh, how my parents sacrificed for me, sending me to school and that kind of thing. I, I'm indebted to them. I really am. And indebted to others as well who sacrificed me. But what would it be like if I decided, well, I'm free now. I'm out of mom and dad's care. Now I'm going to college. I'm going to college now, and I'm experiencing freedom I've never experienced before. Always went to Bible class, always went to Bible study, but now I'm free. And so I'm beginning to associate with friends I didn't have before, and I wouldn't have associated before. And I began to do things that I normally would not have done. I know mom and dad would not approve of that particular matter, but they're not around anymore. You see, there's a boy, there's a girl that's failed to develop the loyalty that they should develop with regard to mom and dad, Christ, and God. Uh, here's, a, here's a young person decides to go off into military service. Been going to Bible class all these years. Grew up listening to gospel sermons and the preaching and the worship of the church and the blessing of brothers and sisters in Christ in the worship of the church. Now they're off with a different crowd altogether, doing things they would not normally have done. Now it's a matter of drink, maybe even drugs, maybe even sexual type of sins and a lack of morals with regard to their life, which before they would never have done, but now because of a lack of loyalty, a lack of loyalty to Christ and a loyalty to God and to the church that belongs to Jesus Christ, they involve themselves in such sinful behavior. Parents have a grave responsibility to live before their children the life that Jesus wants them to live. Parents have a grave responsibility to teach their children what is to be done and what is not to be done and to live it properly. But yet we as children that grow up have a loyalty, should develop a loyalty to Christ and to His church. To be the kind of person God really wants us to be. Some people, some souls will fall away because they never developed a personal loyalty to Jesus Christ. They never wanted to be faithful to Him. Maybe they were at one time, but now no longer. They go through Bible class, and now they have new experiences and new freedom. And now they're no longer faithful because they lack loyalty. God. Members of the church need to develop loyalty to the local congregation, be a part of the local congregation, to develop this loyalty as we grow older and older in Jesus Christ. Some fall away because of a lack of loyalty. Grow loyal, faithful to God and to Christ. Part of our problem, I think, today, and some falling away, is they try to serve too many masters. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, in the verse, verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will develop, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. It's an important matter, isn't it? Can't have two masters. Remember the story in the pages of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, God told Lot and his family, Get out of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to rain destruction upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But his wife looked back. And you know that story. 
The angel of the Lord told him, don't look back. Head for the hills of Zoar. And whatever happens behind you, don't look back. But Lot's wife looked back. Well, I've heard preachers explain that particular story to me, and I've read it, and you have too. She left children there, probably, maybe. She looked back because of her children. Why? There was sin in the cities of Sodom. Maybe she enjoyed the pleasures of sin. And she hated to lose or leave the sinful lifestyle. Maybe she had gotten accustomed to that. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me why she looked back, but I draw this conclusion. She had divided allegiance. You can't serve two masters. You either follow the will and the word of God, or you're going to have to follow the way and the will of this world. You cannot have a little bit of God and a little bit of the world. You cannot be a follower of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's one or the other. And as we studied already, we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. Well, there's a lot of social attachments there that I want to be a part of. Maybe there's a fraternal order that I want to be a part of. Or maybe it's some kind of organization or some kind of club that really meets my fancy, and I want to be a part of that as well as the other. And they're out there. Christ is either going to be the Lord of all or He's not going to be the Lord at all. We're either going to be devoted to Him or not. And souls fall away because they're trying to serve too many masters. And you can give your devotion to only one. And I thought of this great passage, Isaiah chapter 53, one of my favorites. Whereby the great prophet of old told them that we all like sheep have gone astray. What he was talking about in Isaiah 53 is the moral decline of the people. We're no longer faithful to God. We're no longer trying to fill the Word of God, fill our lives with the Word of God. We're not the kind of people we ought to be. We've gone astray. We have fallen away. And the great prophet is saying, we need to come back to God. We need to go back and do it the way God says do it and be the kind of people that God wants us to be. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Now I confess before you this morning, I don't know much about sheep. And the fact of the matter is, I don't want to learn much about it either. Some of you know a lot about sheep. We never raised sheep. We were cattlemen back in Tennessee where I was raised, and it was always about the cows and the calves. It was never about sheep. I don't know much about them. I don't think sheep are like the kind of critter that says, raises his head up and looks around and says, hey man, I don't see the shepherd around, let's make a break for it. I don't think they're like that. And I've seen some cows like that. But I don't think sheep are that way. I think sheep are more like a meek, weak animal that keeps its nose down to the ground and doesn't watch where it's going. It just keeps nibbling and nibbling and nibbling, and it just goes off on its own way. And before you know it, the herd has gone this way, but here's one that's gone astray, that's gone a different way. Maybe he didn't mean to do it, 
Maybe he just wasn't focused on what he should be focused on. Maybe it was a very slight type of thing initially where he wanted to eat this grass and eat that grass. I don't know what goes on in the mind of the sheep. I got an idea that it wasn't a type of rebellious attitude as it was a type of attitude that says, I'm just more focused on what I want to do rather than what the shepherd tells me to do. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep, we've gone astray. We've allowed the moral decay to creep up in our lives and to grow and develop. And it starts step by step. You're busy. You know, you're busy. And you don't need to study the Bible on Wednesday night because you're busy. And I want to tell you something, you're tired. And it's just a little step. There's no need for you to attend Sunday night because you're tired after all. You've got to get up and go to work tomorrow. And the kids have got to get up and go to school. And we don't really need to attend the assembly because we're busy. Or we're tired. After all, it just seems like they're always asking us to do something. And if that preacher preaches on giving one more time, I'm just going to quit going there altogether. It starts out as a little step here. And a little step there. And a negligent act. And a negligent disposition of our heart over here and over there. And we can go astray and another soul falls away. And let me tell you something, brother. Satan has won too many battles. We've let him do it because we, like sheep, fall away. What we need is to strengthen ourselves and remain faithful and grow in faith by the study of the Word of God. The greatest book in all the world is being opened up and it's being studied and it's being explained. And applications are being made to help me apply it to my life. I got to be there. I want to be there to hear that Word. I want to be there to sing those songs. I want to be a part of that assembly and that family of God that loves me and, and is encouraging to me. I'm not going to be one that falls away. Am I speaking to someone today who's on the verge of falling away? Am I speaking to someone today who has not really grown spiritually like they should and become more mature as Christ wants them to become? If that's the case, let's admit it to ourselves and let's do something about it. First thing we need to do about it is to repent of it. And then we need to go to our Lord in prayer and say, Lord, forgive me of that negligent attitude. Hebrews chapter 2 is a great verse that could be cited. And any number of others could be identified. But now I want to know what do I need to do. And what I need to do is to change. And I need to change right now. Before it's too late. So that I will not become weak immature, 
spiritually unfaithful and fall away. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I urge you to do it today. I talked about being baptized already. I talked about the need of confessing faith and repenting of our sins. And I'm emphasizing the point that sometimes we, through lack of faith, are not as strong as we ought to be, and we need to repent of that. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 speaks to that point. And I pray that you'll let the Bible speak to you and that you will answer in the affirmative, Yes, Lord. I'm not going to be one that will fall away. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.